the Geopolitics and Empire podcast is joined by Moscow-based American journalist Robert Rich. He's also the author of Midnight in the American Empire. We'll be having a chat on the American Empire, the election, the Civil War scenario, COVID, cancel culture, uh, the post-American world, and what it's like for both of us being expatriates. Uh, as they say in Russia, как дела, Robert? Uh, all right. A little bit cold here. Uh, I can imagine. Um, perhaps we could start by, I, I was thinking to discuss our experiences as, as both as Americans uh, and as expatriates, uh, which I know I think is of interest to some listeners. There's always people who are thinking of leaving the U.S. Uh, you left the U.S. 25 years ago and have been in Russia for a quarter of a century, uh, and you recently became a Russian citizen. Uh, I left the U.S. something like 15 years ago. I wanted to see the world and experience different cultures. Uh, I had also gotten tired of some of the negative aspects of American culture, which tend to be marked by, um, you know, a lewd type of behavior, excessive drinking, sexual immorality, and the focus on unintellectual pursuits such as, you know, sports and entertainment. And, you know, I saw more conservative culture, which I found in Central Asia and the Americas. Um, and people have told me, you know, you don't know your own culture until you step outside of it and examine it from without. Uh, and furthermore, a shocking moment for me was when I discovered that America was an empire, as silly as that sounds, because, you know, most Americans grow up thinking they live in just another nation state. And for me, you know, discovering the function of the Federal Reserve, the budding surveillance police states, uh, that we are citizens, citizens of an empire was quite, you know, shocking. And I know the subject of 9-11 is, is touchy, but I personally believe, you know, that forces within our own uh, government carried that out. And that kind of really shook me. And so I saw America on permanent decline, especially economically, and I kind of envisioned it descending into some kind of totalitarian state. And I thought I could get out of harm's way, but I never envisioned that, you know, this tyranny would go global as we've seen with the COVID situation. So anyways, I, I became a dual citizen, a Mexican, uh, you became a Russian. I still love the traditional idea of America, its ideals, its, its people, Americana, let's say. I consider myself an American constitutional patriot. Uh, and I would like to preempt anyone who dares to criticize me, uh, as they have in the past, for being unpatriotic by, by fleeing, because the fact that I run this podcast that criticizes the empire is enough to get me into trouble, you know, thanks to things like uh, what Obama signed in the, the NDAA, which, you know, can, can now uh, arrest Americans and put them away uh, forever without any uh, pretext or, 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 or judge or, or, or evidence. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, for that, that's, I think that's uh, far more than any of my critics can say who live in the U.S., but who don't speak up apart from making comments on Internet forums anonymously. Mm -hmm. So, Robert, perhaps take us through your, a little bit of your experience of becoming an expatriate, a Russian citizen, and your view on America uh, and the American empire. Uh, <clears throat> well, thanks for having me, first of all. Uh, great pleasure. Uh, well, yeah, like as you mentioned, a quarter a quarter of a century ago, which makes it seem much longer than 25 years ago. <laughs> um, yeah, I decided to. Uh, it was actually a fluke. I, I can't say that I had any. Uh, it was through meeting one individual who suggested at that particular time in my life. Uh, and at that particular time in my life, I was going through. A, I had just left a Fortune 500 company. Uh, I was burned out 
sick of the corporate culture, sick of sick of staring at the four walls of a cubicle. So I was really like like yourself. I just I wanted to see other parts of the world. And uh, as it turned out, a friend invited me to Russia. And uh, at, at the time, I had never left. Unfortunately, believe it or not, at the age of 30, I had never left the United States, which I guess isn't so terribly. Uh, I guess you get a lot of Americans who, who do that. We don't even have passports. So it was, a, it was a real adventure. So when I first stepped foot in, in Moscow some 25 years ago, it was just a mind-blowing experience. And uh, I had no idea what to expect. And at the time, 25 years ago, in Russia, the place was, you know, was being ruled by Yeltsin at the time. And to be honest, it was a mess. The, the, the city was just... Um, but through, through all of that, you still felt the Russian spirit, as they say, the, the Russian soul, uh, the famous Russian soul. And uh, I, I, had got a I had gotten a visa for just three months, and I just intended to stay here, just see a little bit, say that I did that, and then return home. Uh, but then I started teaching English uh, my first month. I got more interested in, in the culture, started learning more about it, meeting people, um, the, my students. I, I got to learn more about the rush. And it just became, to me, very fascinating. Uh, and I realized quite quickly that the Russia that I had been sold through the media was uh, not the Russia that I had been anticipating. Uh, the Russian people, as you know, are they're extremely intelligent. They're inquisitive. They had no problems. I've I've had actually almost no problems at all. When people find out that I'm I'm an American, especially back then, it was just it was such a big deal. You know, they were just you know swarmed me with questions and wanted to know everything. And uh, it was so that was fascinating. The whole cultural aspect of that was was very interesting. Um, and I, I've got to, I've got to witness the changes through the years. And now Moscow, it's, it's literally unrecognizable uh, from what it was 25 years ago. Uh, I don't know if these are the types of things your, your listener, your listeners are interested in, but, um, the change, the physical changes to the city, if anybody had been here, for example, during the, uh, the football championship just a couple years ago, you know, they know that. And it was held in, I think, 11 different cities throughout Russia. And I think that was that just presented a, a fantastic opportunity for, for Russia to open its, open its doors and let people see for themselves exactly what this place is all about. Because it's, uh, you know, like I said, as, as many people already now know, it's not the place that's being sold in the media. It's a fantastic, fantastic, I mean, Moscow, it's just world class now. It's, uh, although I kind of do miss the original Russia that I landed in. There are some things about that that's, you know, very, that were very unique at the time that, well, those days are over, but, it, you know, they've moved on and it's a modern, very modern now. Um, they still have a way to go, but uh, right now it's, everything is, everything's really improving here. So. And, and so, you know, you, you've been there for 25 years, you're an American like myself. And then how do you view then uh, America the America that you left behind uh, and America as it is today and, and this, this idea of, of, of American empire. Uh, I don't, to, to be honest, I don't really think so much about American empire, like in terms of military, I guess I should being in Russia and seeing the way that, for example, NATO is creeping up and not even just creeping up. I mean, they are smack on the border now of Russia. 
So those things are very disturbing to, to see that, to see how that's happening. You know, they just slapped sanctions again, again against Russia and I guess Turkey at the same time. So you see things like that happening. That's that's disturbing. But I think the the aspect of American empire that I think bothers me the most right now, because I don't think that we're ever going to actually, at least no time soon, unless some kind of crazy accident is going to happen. I don't think there's actually going to be a war anytime soon. So I'm not I'm not particularly worried about that, although it is, of course, concerning. But what really bothers me right now is the cultural aspect of uh, the, the, the so-called American empire. And how that's creeping up on on the entire world, and there are so there are things that I've noticed. Well, it's, it's impossible not to notice, you know, that have happened in the United States 25 years ago. Like for example, um, the transgender the transgender movement. Okay, I'm just picking out one one thing off the top of my head here. Um, things like this, and um, my I have children here, and I would I think I would be. I would be really concerned about sending my, my, my children to a public school in the United States because here, the, I mean, there they're teaching kids in the elementary grade level uh, you know, topics on sex that I personally don't think is, is appropriate. Uh, many other conservative people, conservative-minded people like myself don't, don't want their children knowing about. I mean, so that's just one of, one of many things, this whole cultural and that, now you have the social justice warriors and uh, the the atmosphere, the climate on college campuses where you you're not really allowed anymore to to speak about certain things. It's and now you uh, there are so many things that are happening. It's it's almost impossible to put them all together in one thought. But uh, what else do you have? Critical race theory. You know, Trump just found out that uh, in his own government, for example, they were teaching. In various government departments, they were teaching this critical race theory, which was basically telling their employees, their federal employees, that uh, white people—how uh, how do they phrase it—are basically racists, you know, and they contribute to racism. Uh, they just came right out and, and said the word "white people," and uh, I just I find these types of trends very disturbing, and and the fact that corporate America has jumped on this. Uh, so, so, social justice warrior bandwagon with their different commercials and uh, pushing this whole idea. I don't, I don't see these, these things happening from the grassroots level. I see them being forced upon the people from, from up above. And so for me, that's, that's one segment of the American empire that uh, I find extremely disturbing. Uh, so. Yeah, I, I would agree with you uh, as well. I wouldn't want to send my, kids to school public school uh, in the US and and you can really contrast this you know I, I've 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 been to Russia as well and for uh, a, like a couple of weeks and really been with Russian people and I've lived in Kazakhstan and you know the media portrays these things that you're discussing transgender uh, you know social justice uh, this it's, it's it's a kind of a, it's a marxism you know one element is this marxism a cultural marxism and a lot of the people, even these former Marxist countries, they don't go uh, along with it. They, they paint it as, as a majority movement, but it's actually quite a, a, only a mi minority that's into this. And if you go to like Kazakhstan, the vast majority of the population, you know, 95% uh, wouldn't, they, they wouldn't, you know, go, go with this thing. And I would assume similar mm -hmm. in Russia and, and, and other countries. Uh, and then speaking of, 
you know, that was one of my questions. You, you've written articles about this. You know, you quoted recently the great comedian George Carlin and his prediction that, quote, when fascism comes to America, it will not be in brown and black shirts. It will not be with jackboots. It will be Nike sneakers and smiley shirts, uh, end quote. And, you know, I think we've arrived. You know, you have this, you mentioned this totalitarian cancel culture, social justice movement embodied by Black Lives Matter and Antifa. Uh, and as you said, there's we have plenty of evidence to show that these movements are funded by, you know, these oligarchs, you know, Soros and the big corporations. Um, and, you know, they've teamed up with Nike <laughs> and the big corporations. Mm -hmm. And if you don't pledge allegiance to them, you're physically assaulted. Uh, they're going to people's homes and telling them they're going to kick people out of their homes and you get terminated from your job. Uh, you know, that's what, that's another reason I left the U.S. Uh, I've been reading about conservatives uh, in, the, in education who are getting fired from their jobs just because they don't accept these ideologies so it's they're preaching tolerance yet they're being intolerant but you know that, that's why i go to countries like kazakhstan or for now mexico or even russia where you you can still work normally having your own beliefs and not having this forced upon you so um if you want to you know talk more about do you see this coming to russia anytime soon because in kazakhstan i've seen it seep in with with the youth you know, through their consumption of internet, you know, social media and, and blogs and a lot of American uh, culture? And that's a really good question. Uh, and it, it's something that I do think about quite often uh, that I, I'm just, I'm so thankful that I did find a place like Russia that does share my, my personal outlook on, on these subjects. And uh, so now I feel like I, I kind of owe it to, to places like Russia to speak out against it and to, to try to fight against this, this uh, movement, because you do have things like social media. Now the internet, there are no more borders, so to speak of that can block these, these ideas. And uh, just because today uh, Russia is a very conservative place, who knows what the, the political atmosphere here, the climate will be like tomorrow. Uh, I could change very quickly I, I hope to god it doesn't and you know places like in kazakhstan as well that uh, uphold this and uh i mean just to, just to give you an example you, you probably know that back in uh i believe it was 2014 putin had passed this so-called anti and this is what they call it in the united states the anti-gay law okay um uh, and really what that was it was it was uh it was just a, a law a very lengthy named law that was just designed to protect children from uh, sexual sexual themes that should not be directed at minors. Okay, they're just basically trying to protect children from these messages. That's all, you know. And I, when I think about it, and I, it was such a simple thing. This this law it was presented in, in the Duma, and in a matter of days, if not hours, it was passed. There was. The, the overwhelming majority of Russians, I think 97% agreed with it. No problem getting it through. And I just thought to myself, you know, it'd be so nice if, if we had a political system in the United States where something like this could just, it, it's so, it, to me, it's such a logical thing. You know, it's such a logical thing. You don't, kids don't need to be thinking about these types of subjects. They don't need to have these ideas projected to them. Um, if you look at this transgender movement, I hate to I hate to beat on this all the time. I tend to talk too much about it, but to me, it's first it's a bit disturbing. I think that it's just being really pushed on people, and of course, there are some people who do 
have these these feelings and beliefs, but I think it's a it's a, a real minuscule part of the population. And you have um, now you have a lot of kids. They've gone through this whole this whole uh, sex change. Uh, they've gone through the hormones. They've they've uh, had operations, and at a very young age. And now they're actually they actually realize that they made a mistake. And once you once you go that far into it, there's really no turning back. And uh, so you see things like that happening, and it's really to me it's really re regrettable. So I, I think that. But to answer your question, do I see do I see these things coming here? Yeah, you know, I go you go into the bookshops, for example. I see I see particular books that, I mean, I, I I really don't have any other word to explain them except they're just satanic, and I that's a very strong term, and I mean it quite literally. You look through some of them, and some of them are even published by the Disney Company. Okay, um, and I think I don't think that Russians. I think Russians are. In some cases, they're um, they're accepting of very many things from the West, and they don't necessarily uh, understand. Maybe not that they don't have the intelligence to understand it, but I, I don't think they quite understand uh, some of the, the what they're trying. What what is what they're trying to do? What uh, outside forces might be trying to do here? And I think that's that's probably the way that they um, these people feel that they can get their foot in the door here is through the children first. I see it in the cartoons. You know, I have to be really careful what I let my children watch here, which is really unfortunate. When my, when I'm letting them watch television in the morning, for example, I have to try to find uh, the one channel that still plays Soviet cartoons because I know that in the Soviet period, they didn't, they did, of course they didn't do everything right, but they knew how to make cartoons. Very simple, innocent type of entertainment for kids. Um, you can't get that nowadays. You, you, you turn on, you look at the cartoons now and they're just, everything is so fast and the message messages are terrible and everything is violent. Um, so yeah, through different, different ways and means I, I do see, I do see, uh, them coming, trying to get their message here. And, uh, it's, it's a very, it, to me, it's, it's disturbing. Yeah. All right. That, that's interesting. Uh, point you brought up because we haven't really talked about that on geopolitics and empire um you know there's the economic aspect uh, of the empire uh, which we often talk about uh you know that, that controls the whole Bretton Woods system which is kind of uh, falling apart now i guess and then the, the military aspect but there's definitely this this cultural aspect and as i mentioned in the beginning that's something that's one of the reasons i i left the u.s because you know i, I had wanted to talk uh with all my friends and people around me you know talk about all of these higher uh, intellectual things and all people wanted to do was just you know get 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 drunk and talk about sports and cars and you know that's one of the mm -hmm. not, not everyone like that is like that in america right but it's a common thing you know in the weekend you just go to the bar get drunk talk about sports and i'm like i had enough of, about this i i, I want to go do some soul searching so you know i went out into the to the gobi desert right um and then uh then to get your thoughts then on on, on also what you've been writing about um, what's happening now, this contested election, right? Um, often with empires, they rise and fall. And then as they begin to decline, a lot of things start to fall apart. The, the political st stability, uh, the culture tends to degenerate, um, as you've been uh, describing. And then, you know, there's a terminal economic uh, decline. So now we have this contested election. Uh, from my perspective, you know, I, I didn't vote for, I haven't voted for a long time, but I believe it's clear that Trump won re-election uh, and that we just experienced a coup 
and uh, color revolution. That was something a few months ago, uh, Dr. Paul Craig Roberts uh, spoke to me uh, about on this channel. And, you know, we're on the verge of, I think, possible great civil unrest, even some kind of civil war scenario. There's this interesting Russian professor, Igor Panarin, who a decade ago put out a map projecting how the U.S. would... Uh, you know, f f break apart into different pieces. But, you know, also America is a lot like a Hollywood film. You can really expect anything to happen by an inauguration day, January 20th and afterwards. So, you know, what's your take on the current situation with Trump, the election, civil unrest, civil war? Uh, wow. Yeah, I agree with you uh, that it's uh, it's a very precarious time for, for the United States. I think a lot of people... I mean, I'm on Twitter right now, and uh, a lot of the people who I, I follow, they're, they're Trump supporters, and you can just sense this desperation and this anticipation for something, anything to happen. I mean, these, these people, they've been led along to believe all this time that there were going to be arrests. You have this whole Q, Q movement, for example, and uh, whether or not that's legitimate, I, I still don't know, but it's, it's very interesting. Um, but these people have been led to believe that, yes, Trump is, first of all, he's going to drain the swamp. He's going to make arrests. Now you have the situation where uh, it's clearly, I mean, clearly wide, wide scale fraud and corruption in, in the election. It's just it's really unbelievable what they got away with. This whole Dominion voting voting systems that they have in place. I mean, in Michigan, the the the, the uh, percentage of errors were like sixty to seventy percent. It's just, it's really unbelievable. So, and Trump is not, you know, his whole his whole reason for getting into politics to begin with was to basically save America. I mean, I know that sounds a little bit probably over the top, but really, he didn't even really want to get into politics at the beginning. And now he sees that he's been really cheated out of office by probably one of the most corrupt individuals that has ever, I mean, if this guy, if Biden actually becomes president, that's, that's just going to be unbelievable. And to believe that this guy got, <laughs> this guy couldn't fill a Waffle House on a Sunday morning. And to believe that he, that this guy got more votes than any other presidential candidate in American history is just the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of in my life. Um, and if it wasn't for COVID, I don't know how they would explain the empty seats at all of his, his rallies because nobody, nobody's interested in the guy at all, really. Uh, so you look at things like that and it's just so obvious to so many people. And so that's number one. Number two is, um, how are they going to, how are they going to, uh, move forward? How is the country going to move forward? How are Republicans, you know, the, the, right now the Republican party is basically Trump supporters. So if all these people just feel like they wasted their vote, they wasted four years, uh, Trump didn't get to didn't get into office like he didn't get reelected like he should have. He didn't get a chance to finish what he had promised he would finish. Didn't get to put up the, the wall. All, all these other things, so many things, and uh, no arrests were made that so many people were anticipating. Uh, I just think that's going to make so many people really give up hope. So if if Trump if if Biden actually does if he is actually inaugurated on January twentieth. I think that is going to be the, uh, I, I, I can't even say, I can't even imagine it happen. I can't imagine this guy in the Oval Office, to be quite honest. Kamala Harris as well. I think she, they're both very inadequate, <laughs> to put it mildly. Uh, so will it lead to civil war? Uh, I think right now, absolutely anything is possible. I, I was actually just on 
Twitter before I got onto this interview with you, and I, I'm, I was listening to or reading about some some thoughts from some people who they they actually think that you know uh, Biden will be arrested on inauguration. I mean, they're just they have there's so much hope in 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 these people, and uh, they just they just cannot they just cannot give up hope in Trump. So that's uh, that's a real powder keg, and it, it could really blow. Uh, I, I could see it happening. You got the Proud Boys, you've got Antifa, you've got BLM. Uh, so the all every all the chess pieces are there, and it's just going to take it's just going to take something to, to set it off. And uh, I think the Biden Biden inauguration could just very well be it. Although who knows what's going to happen on January sixth? I'm still trying to figure out exactly how the electoral college, this whole thing, works with the states sending their le legislators to Congress, uh, what power do they have, whether or not they can vote. I'm still trying to figure this out. I'm, I'm reading on it right now. I'm trying to write an article about it. And it's funny that as an American, I really don't even quite understand. I'm hearing different different sides to the story, how they're able to do this. Um, I know that the Congress, if, there's an, if there are enough senators and members of the House of Representatives to object to the votes, to the, to the Electoral College votes, then they could you know, basically hand, hand it to, to Trump. Um, whether or not the state legislators who actually should have more power than, for example, the governors of the states, because they're, they're the real representatives of the people, whether or not they can actually change the vote to Trump is another, is something that I'm trying to figure out. Maybe, maybe you can shed some light on that if you know, <laughs> but uh, things like this, it's, it's coming down to the wire. And, uh, and you also have, for example, Sidney Powell, uh, although she's not necessarily affiliated with the Trump legal team, she's got a lot of things. The other lawyer, Lynn Wood, um, he's what he's saying on Twitter is unbelievable. So he's he's just he's threatening to to put the, for example, uh, Brian Kemp, the governor of Georgia, threatening to put him into jail. Uh, it's really it's getting uh, and I, this is the thing. This is the dangerous aspect of it. The media is not talking about any of this. There, there are, there's just so much tension and frustration and anger on the right. And a lot of it is due simply to the fact that the media just does not cover it. They will not talk about it. They, 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 if, if it wasn't for some a very few up and coming like Newsmax, NTD, um, these up and coming channels, you, you won't even know about it. And most people don't follow them, of course. So a lot of people on the right are just getting so frustrated with this just completely a complete blackout of, of information about it. And uh, that's leading to the frustration. On the other hand, if by some chance Trump does, if, he, if his legal team or if the Congress somehow decides that it was fraudulent and they, they give the electoral points to Trump, he has a chance to get 274 if the swing states are, are nullified. Uh, as I think they should be, you have that you have a situation there where people are not going to be expecting that. I mean, right now, people, the Democrats, they firmly believe that Biden is in. There's no problem. It's just it's uh, all you know, smooth sailing all the way until inauguration day. But that's not the, that's not the case. A lot could happen before then. There's there are still people who uh, have s strong reservations about Biden about the the, the uh, voting how that took place so anything can happen right now yeah i, I would agree with you and, and, and like i said earlier that this is like a hollywood 
film. Like you, you absolutely don't oh, know yeah. what, what's going to happen. And there are things that legal actions, um, legal, you know, rabbits, they're, they're talking about pulling out of hats that go back, you know, to the 19th century that, that, that could be done, but that would, you know, or some things that would be historic, but legal to, to do. And as, as you say, I don't see whatever happens. I mean, you laid it out perfectly well. It's a powder keg, either from the left or, or from the right. You know, if, if Trump is reelected somehow, the left's going to explode. Uh, if, if Biden goes in, you know, the right's going to explode. I don't see how, I don't see this, you know, Biden coming into power and just things normally moving on uh, as we would in no. an election cycle. So something's, you know, going to, to happen as you said, we don't, we don't know exactly what. And on the Q thing, I I, I never was really a believer in the, in the in the Q movement. I kind of viewed it as a psycho psychological uh, operation. And because you look at the the effect that it had was basically to to take people who would otherwise do things, uh, translate their actions into the real world, to kind of just have them sit on their couch and not do anything and and think everything would be taken care of. You kind of like pacified. People and someone pointed out interestingly when the Bolshevik re revolution happened in, in in Russia, they ran a counterintelligence operation, kind of similar to to Q, to 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 get you know people to stand down who otherwise would stand up, uh, and then figure out who are the people, uh, you, you know, kind of like a honeypot type mm -hmm. of thing. So yeah, um, I, I I I never was really. And then when then they used Q, the the establishment used Q as a pretext to ban a bunch of uh, channels. So again, that that's telling that they painted people as Q and then, oh, you know, we, we deleted all these channels because they were in talking about Q. So that that, that was not a, a good sign. Uh, and then to, to look at COVID because a lot of these things converge. Um, you know, I've covered COVID-19 quite a lot on this channel, uh, but suffice it to say that it, it has officially or overtly introduced unveiled fascism, I think, uh, in the U.S., you know, because we have now uh, private corporations working together with the government to control our lives, you know, Silicon Valley, big tech, big box stores like Amazon, Walmart, Costco, and so on, you know, they're dictating things. They're shutting down all of the other small businesses, independent businesses, and taking over the market. Um, you know, there, things are going so far as to limit our free speech, our freedom of religion, churches are shutting down, freedom of movement. Right now, they're talking about these they close us down and they, they talk about these freedom passes, right? You can't leave your house. Uh, but we have, it's like fr uh, freedom fries, right? From the, fr the Bush's uh, war. And now we have a freedom pass. Uh, and then you wrote a piece, you wrote a piece quote uh, titled quote, when COVID-19 meets cancel culture. And you also wrote another piece called quote, COVID-19 has replaced Osama bin Laden as the fall guy for civil liberties, end quote. And, you know, since March, I've been calling COVID-19 either COVID-1984 or, or Corona bin Laden, because it's like this <laughs> this non-existent boogie, boogeyman uh, again that's being used as a pretext to take total control over us. So, you know, what's your take on um, the COVID situation? Uh, I <laughs> uh, well, first of all, I um, I don't really even believe that. It was funny. I saw a Facebook post today that COVID is a great killer. It's killed the flu. It's killed pneumonia. It's, it's, it's killed common sense. Uh, so it, it, it really, from having to just wear a mask going into stores, I, I'm really not good about that. You know, when I, a cashier refuses to wait on me until I put my mask on, I'm, I'm really not good with that sort of a thing. So I have to say something and 
a friend of mine said, oh, well, you shouldn't give them a hard time. You know, they're just doing their job. And I said, well, you know what? The Nazis also said the same thing. The people who supported the Nazi regime, they were also just doing their jobs. Um, I hate to make that comparison, but uh, that that's where it's that's I, I fear that's where this could be heading um, in very quick order. Uh, you get these these people who before had no power, powerless jobs. I mean, I'm, I don't mean to degrade them or demean them, but, you know, store cashiers now they they can and they're, they're forced to wear their mask all day long. I feel so bad for these people, you know, big, heavy black masks over their nose and mouth. I, I can't wear mine over my mouth for more than five minutes without feeling that I'm being suffocated. Uh, so I don't know how they do it all day. So they're they're probably feeling a bit anger and they, they want to they want to exert some control on other people's lives. So you have that aspect of it. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm kind of grateful that I don't know how things are going to get here in Moscow. We did have a lockdown for a while. Everything was shut down, restaurants and everything back in, you know, when everybody else was shut down. Uh, but now everything is open again. So I find myself, which is kind of ironic, I find myself being happy that I only have to wear a mask. The other day I went shopping in Moscow, you know, buying socks or something. And I had to put a mask on, had to put gloves on to pay the cashier. And I had a little argument with her. I feel bad after I do that because, like I said, it's not their fault. But I, I just feel that everybody needs to say something at some level so that the the frustration somehow gets up to the top and uh, they start to understand that they're pushing people too far. Uh, so, yeah, and you're this this is it is it's really a new sort of fascism that's been pushed on the world. I, I sometimes I, I like to think or I, I do think that this whole thing was started. I mean, if you look back, for example, at event 201, OK, this is this is just the most amazing thing. And uh, I, I wrote a piece about that uh, back a few months ago. And it's just incredible. I mean, they predicted every single thing that happened just a few months later. A pandemic was going to come. Think businesses were going to be shut down. And they had they had all these different uh, CEOs of, for example, Lufthansa was there, and they were giving their predictions how the airlines were going to have to shut down, how restaurants were going to have to close down. I mean, they had a fake fake news organization also speaking there, GNN instead of CNN. Um, giving their drama and take on the whole thing, and it's when I when I read that, when I really read the details of Event Two Hundred One, that's when something clicked in my mind, and I said, "Wow, this is really there's something here. There's no way this could have just." And actually, uh, the John Hopkins University—they're the ones who sponsored this Event Two Hundred One—and they had actually come out and say that no, we were not actually predicting this would happen. It was just a you know, it was just a fluke. So they had to actually come because there's so many people were asking questions about it. And then you had military games as well that were taking place in uh, actually in China at the time. Uh, there were sporting matches, I believe, and uh, there's a lot of talk about that. That the the athletes who were participating weren't very good athletes. <laughs> they might they might have been doing something they should not have been doing while they were over there. I mean, who knows? So many so many unbelievable things happening. So. There's the I guess the conspiracy theorist inside of me once uh, tells me that this whole thing was of course they were going to do it anyways. I mean this whole thing about a pandemic. Bill Gates has been talking about it forever. He's been pushing his vaccine on the world forever. He wants his tracking technology and everybody. Um, so I would be far more inclined to take the Russian Sputnik vaccine if I was actually had to if I actually had to make a choice. I won't do it unless I have a you know unless I'm actually forced to. But uh, it looks like. 
the way like you were talking about the the freedom passes and everything freedom prize it, that's that's what it looks like it's coming down to uh you know bill gates he's coming out and saying that there there isn't going to be people aren't going to be able to participate in sporting events entertaining entertainment events unless everybody has this this uh vaccine you won't be able to board an airplane i suppose soon so everything that democracy our modern democracy has been built upon which is the ability to i don't know participate in these sort of things at least that's a big part of it to consume things to be entertained to, to attend a sporting event i mean now they have cardboard cutouts uh in place of actual live people in the stands of these it's it's so it's so surreal it's so creepy it's so <laughs> i just don't even I, I don't even have words for it to be honest it just it frustrates me so bad and i'm sure it does a lot of other people uh and they and now they're talking about this vaccine that even though people get the vaccine they're still gonna have to wear their masks they're still gonna have to social distance so i don't i don't know it's it's just crazy. There's no other word for it. It's just absolutely crazy. And I, I don't know where we're going to be in a year from now, but they're really laying the groundwork. And they found they really found the perfect mechanism to ram through their, their idea. I mean, you have a bug that you can't even see. It terrifies people. They hear stories. I mean, personally, myself, you know, you, you, when you look at the statistics, it's like, I don't know, 99.85% chance of dying if you actually get this thing. Kids are kids are com almost completely immune to it. Um, many people are asymptomatic; they don't even know they've got it. Uh, so, you know, when you hear all these things, and, and the 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 uh, reaction to it is just so over the top, just to kill the economy. That's that in itself. It's far worse than the disease. Uh, it's like trying to shoot a fly with a, a cannon. It, it's it's just incredible. You're killing the economy. You're driving people into depression, suicide, alcoholism, domestic abuse, and uh, I mean, I know myself, for example, I'm just one of millions of people. But myself, my office has become my kitchen table. Really, I'm that's where I, I'm writing my articles from. Uh, I wanted to convert my balcony into a little office, but I didn't get to do that this year. But uh, you know, millions of people like me and you, I suppose, you know, we're like. This is this is just so it, it, we're thrown into something that we're not that we've never had to deal with before, and it's it's not like we're dealing with the black plague here. This is something that's actually quite minor uh, in the grand scale of things, but they just keep throwing it at us. They keep talking about the cases going up, cases, cases, cases. Okay, wonderful. But uh, what about the death rate? They don't want to tell us about that, and it's really it's pretty much flat. There's not that. Like, unless you're talking about some of the nursing homes where guys like Andrew Cuomo and Whitmer and uh, Gavin Newsom from California, you know, they, they threw all these old people into nursing homes knowing that they had COVID. So what does that do? Of course, it drove up. I think 40 percent of the, the deaths in the United States come from old people who were in nursing homes who were put there or who were infected by people who were put there who had COVID. It's, it's, it's insane. And these people, you know, that's one thing I was waiting for there to be some sort of uh, legal action taken against these four governors of these four democratic, democratically run states. And it's always the democratically run states. I don't know why, but you get these extremely draconian measures that always tend to happen in California, 
uh, Michigan, New York, Pennsylvania, all democratically run places. Uh, so there's a political aspect to it, that's for sure. Yeah, this is uh, something I think unprecedented, unprecedented in, in history, but uh, something interesting, you know, as we've seen with a lot of past uh, revolutions, Jacobin, you know, left Bolshevik, whatever uh, revolutions, public health uh, often was used as, as a pretext to, to carry out, um, you know, a regime change. Or, and this seems to be a regime change on a global scale uh, because it's, it's incredible from all pretty much all nations of the world, either the presidents, prime, prime ministers, governors, mayors are, are mm -hmm. following the same script. Um, and I think a lot of these things are interlinked that, that we've been discussing, you know, this cancel culture that's being propagated as like the cultural aspect to the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have the, the, the economic part where the, the monopolies are, are taking over and it's happening globally. You know, I've been reading in Kazakhstan, a Kazakh minister came out and said, if there's like a second lockdown in Kazakhstan, the middle class in Kazakhstan will be permanently wiped uh, out. And I know here in Mexico, I've been reading, you know, one million businesses uh, have gone gone out of business. Like that's three million jobs, uh, you know, 150,000 of these corner stores in, in Mexico gone, you know, poof. Mm -hmm. And so it's happening globally. And then another aspect um, is the censorship. You know, I, I wanted to get your take as, as a writer and a journalist, how you see the media landscape, which is. It's now it's it's insane. It's it's a global. It's completely Orwellian, dystopian, total uh, censorship. Anything that's not politically correct, not pro-establishment, that's not liberal. Uh, anything that's not pro-big pharma, pro-war gets uh, deleted. One of the publications that you write for, which I like very much. You know, I don't always agree, but you know, I read different things and I like strategic mm -hmm. culture. It's completely banned from sites like Twitter. You know, there, there's degrees in, in, in censorship. So there are sites where you can post the link on Twitter. Uh, and then if someone clicks the link, it will tell you, oh, are you sure you want to go there? It's a suspicious website, right? It's like a, a, a one level of censorship. You can't even post strategic culture to Twitter or Facebook, which is incredible. So what's your take on the censorship uh, that's going on? Uh, well, it, yeah, it's, it's horrible. Um, it, it's, uh, it's just not, not where I thought our country would ever go. Uh, now, you know, before just a few years ago, I, whenever I was doing, for example, a Google search, I felt comfortable knowing that I would get a multitude of different, uh, uh, what do you, what do you call it? Uh, I lost my train of thought there. Uh, I guess, you know, results, different results. articles, right, results. Yeah, yeah. just results. You know, you, you get a different, many different types of results. Now it's just all streamlined to, to, to one sort of, you know, for example, you look up Trump, you you, you type in it, and it's, you just guaranteed to get nothing but anti-Trump things. If you look up COVID, you punch in the words, uh, risks of the vaccine, you're going to get all the good stuff about the vaccine. Uh, it's just things like that. Google and then they say, well, go to other, go to other search engines like DuckDuckGo or something like that. And they're just pretty much, I don't know how other people feel about it, but useless, I think. So Google has really got, got a, a death grip on information. And uh, it's scary to me. And I'll tell you one thing that I, I think, I've, I really think what they're trying to do is just basically extinguish history. Uh, you know, they don't, you can't get paperback 
Britannica encyclopedias anymore. Everything is everything is online. Everything is electronic. So our whole history is in the hands of these these uh, big tech mega companies. And uh, you talk about the memory hole. I mean, they they've got they've got that control right there. And uh, I, I hope this doesn't sound racist, but uh, if you want to do, if, if your readers, listeners want to conduct a little experiment, go on to Google and type in uh, white American inventors. And this, this is a subject that's been touched upon by, and I, I, I read about this on uh, the ONS site. Um, and you're going to get, you're not going to get a single, in the top 10, you might get one or two white American inventors. And you're going to get, uh, you know, and like I said, I'm not racist and I understand, but you're going to get all black American inventors, people you've never heard of before. Now, this is just one example. Um, and I, I, the, when I saw that, I was just so amazed thinking to myself, my God, I mean, this is like, this is the one thing that Americans pride themselves on, you know, I'm sorry, white Americans pride themselves on probably the most is their, their con contributions to technology, engineering, uh, things like that. And when I saw that, I thought, okay, this, there's something really strange about this. This is, this talk about totalitarian. And, uh, I was just, I was very disturbed by that. You didn't, you didn't get the Wright brothers up there, Thomas Edison, you know, uh, Bill, even Bill Gates, you know, and it's not, it might sound a little bit ridiculous, but, uh, that's the first step, I think. And now you've got all this talk about critical race theory, and I'm just giving one example of, of how this, this so-called censorship could work in a, in a different way, not necessarily directly related to media, but overall. Um, and then you get, you get the media landscape as well, uh, which is President Trump, he can't, he can't tweet something. The President of the United States cannot tweet something without getting some kind of comment from Jack Dorsey that it's uh, not legitimate or it's been debated or, you know, you, how dare you say that mail-in ballots could be somehow fraudulent when it's been proven over and over again that they, they're very prone to, to being manipulated. So things like that. I mean, if even the president of the United States, States can't put out a message without getting some sort of tag on it from these social media uh, monsters, uh, then I, I don't know. We're, we're all in a lot of trouble. <laughs> Yeah, I, I remember the early days of the internet in the 1990s and the 2000s, and it was a complete wild west, and it was beautiful. You could type into the search, and you get everything, all perspectives, crazy perspectives, good perspectives, and then you, you figure it out, right, which is how it yeah, should, yeah. should be. And right. as you said, I've noticed this recently, and it's really sad. You, as you said, Google, even because a lot of the other search engines backends on, on Google, like DuckDuckGo or whatever, uh, and they're giving you pretty much the same things. And it's like, not, to get back to that old wild, wild west, you got to go to the alternative uh, social media channels, like, you know, using Telegram or, you know, these uh, Gab or Mines or, 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 or mm -hmm. in, independent channels, you know, these bit shoots, all these things that are sprouting up as alternatives. That's where that wild west internet has gone. But it seems slowly, you know, they're, they're tightening the screws. And that's what Eric Schmidt, the former head of, Google had said some years ago that he Google's purpose in the future was you type in uh, one search um, topic and you're going to get one result. You know that Google is going to tell you that this is the truth about this topic. You will no longer get you know two or three perspectives yeah. where 
you figure yeah, it out. That. Yeah, and it's yeah. it's it's scary and it's a struggle for like people like us to, to to be doing what we're doing because tomorrow everything can just be gone. <laughs> yeah, there were so many so many YouTube channels. Like whenever there was, for example, a shooting like that Las Vegas shooting, for example, uh, or nine one one or whatever. You know, you could get onto YouTube, and there were so many wonderful citizen journalists out there. And I really, you know, and like you're saying too, everybody, we all, we're all intelligent. We can all weigh the information ourselves. We know what might be false. We could do our own research, but they don't want that. They, they don't want anybody challenging their narrative. For them, that's a very dangerous thing. They want to have the, the corporate mainstream media narrative and nobody else should have a right to be able to counter that. And if you try to, then you're a conspiracy theorist, you're nuts, you're whatever. And, uh, that's, that is really disturbing. And they've got, so I don't, I don't know what the answer to that is. I really don't know how they're going to fix that. Google, they've got their, they've got control of it. And I, I see what you're saying with BitChute and Gab and Telegram and all these others. And, you know, that's good to see that that's, they are cropping up. Um, myself, I'm slightly, I'm, I'm concerned about that as well because, uh, next time you have some sort of, for example, a mass shooting and, you had people on on BitChute, for example, who were promoting some idea that you know then then they're going to have some kind of other excuse to to crack down on on these sites as well. So uh, they're always going to find, I think, some kind of a reason, or they're going to be bought out. Perhaps I I mean I hate to be too too cynical about it, too pessimistic. I mean, thank God that they are they, there are other sites like that, and now now you see, like we mentioned, I mentioned before, Newsmax and these other news. Uh, companies that are starting to crop up as well out of just pure necessity people just they and it's such a breath of fresh air to 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 hear these you know different viewpoints and you go on to cnn and all these others as you know and it it's just all cookie cutter view views you can't you can't any you can't get any sort of um and that's dangerous that's really just it's just a very dangerous thing when uh it's all uniform like that and people can't get any sort of a alternative and I talked to my talk to my uh, friends back in the states and I just I because there a lot of them are just the CNN type and uh, <laughs> uh, it's it's I just can't even yeah I really can't talk to some of them now it's just you can't you it feels like you're talking to a person from a different planet and and in reality you are <laughs> no that's true I I, I feel the same way um, and I just wanted to touch also maybe comment on, on the racist thing. You you mentioned sites like Uns, which I read. And, you know, I, I, I interview Marxists. I interview people on the right. And uh, listeners to this channel enjoy the fact that I interview people from all perspectives. And, you know, we're not racist. We're painted with all these, you know, uh, yeah. I'm painted. The website is, is pro-Russian. I uh, Some people have said we're extreme left Marxist because we talk to these different people. And, you know, I became a Mexican. Hey, and by the way, I'm a Slav. So some people say that the word Slav came from slave because we were slaves back in the day, Slavs. And, you know, my grandfather was a Nazi prisoner uh, who survived being a Nazi prisoner. So, you know. The Nazis even wanted to take us out. So, you know, how can mm -hmm. we be, how can I be a Nazi if I'm against that ideology? Mm -hmm. And my grandfather was a Nazi prisoner because he stood up for what was right. Um, so we've kind of covered a lot, uh, the, the waterfront, I, I'll call it the three C's, right? Cancel culture, COVID, and, and censorship. So do, do you have any final uh, thoughts then to leave us with or any other topic that's interesting for you? 
if you haven't visited Russia yet, try to do that. Uh, don't don't take the media's. Uh, I don't want to sound like a tour agent here, but <laughs> but I think it's really really vital, and I think a lot of people are probably all, already aware of that. They probably probably have already heard the stories about Russia, and uh, from people who have actually been here. But uh, Moscow and Saint Petersburg, I think. And I, I actually used to meet a lot of, I had a, my former job moonlighted as a, a guide many years ago for Americans who came over here. Actually, when they were adopting children, I was kind of participating in that. Um, American adoptions from Russia, though, they've been banned. But uh, I was moonlighting as that and I was helping American. And every single American who I met over here, they were just, and this was, you know, before all the big, really big changes started to happen. They, you know, they started to really... Uh, pump a lot of money into the cities and and uh, renovating them. And I mean, Moscow now, you just, I think every square inch of the city has been somehow fixed up. It's its amazing what they've done. Um, I won't, I can't get into all the details now, but uh, yeah, I just think that uh, on a pro-Russian ending here that, uh, oh, it's not necessarily pro-Russian. It's just, I, because I love my country. I love the United States. I want to see both countries do well. But I think that's that's one of the ways to do it is to not believe, and I'm sure your readers are smart enough to already know that, but not to believe what they they hear in the uh, the media, what they read about in the press about Russia, what they see on television. I remember one time I was in uh, Latvia and I was watching a, a German television station in my hotel room, and they showed they the the caption at the bottom said Moscow Russia, and they showed this this woman who was carrying buckets of milk on by a stick on both sides, uh, pails of milk down this muddy dirt, muddy road. And <laughs> just thinking to myself, my gosh, you know, this is what people think of Moscow and Russia. And even my parents, you know, then I tell them what it's like here and they, they just can't believe it because why, well, they've seen, they've seen the reality for themselves on television. So how could it, how, why would the TV lie to them? So <laughs> yeah, if you get a chance, whenever these, uh, the lockdown is, is, uh, hopefully it will be someday when it, when the lockdowns are over and people are able to fly again. Uh, book a flight to Russia. You won't. You won't be sorry. Yeah, I, I, I've been to Russia. I, I would agree. The same. It's not what you think. It's it's nice and and, and, and other countries as well. You know, I, I've been to China. Uh, I per, I personally dislike the Chinese, let's say, uh, regime or or political system. But you know, there's the whole Chinese culture. The landscape is wonderful. The history, the uh, the people. Uh, I, and again, that will change. Your, your, your perspective, because a lot of people who just cons consume, let's say, media on China will think, oh, I hate China. It's like, okay, the, the political system maybe isn't great, but you have to like separate these the different issues. Uh, you know, I know I had a friend that went, he visited Iran, right? He's a biker. He drove from Europe to uh, Iran and it was a shocking his experience. Like he, he drives into Iran on his motorbike and people are like, following him down the street, inviting him uh, for food and tea into their homes. And it's just like he had a wonderful experience. Again, you separate from the, that from the political system. And, right. you know, and so, yeah, people just need to get out more. Um, so finally, you, you have your uh, section on strategic culture. You write for RT. You're on Twitter. Are, are there any other websites or projects we should know about? Uh, I'm, just, I'm working on a, a second book. Uh, that, that, that consumes a lot of my time. So whenever I'm not writing for those other publications, I'm, I'm, I'm writing, uh, that's about it. To be honest, I'm just trying to survive this lockdown and, uh, <laughs> as everybody else is. 
and uh, that's about it. To be honest. All right. Uh, you recently gave an, uh, a good interview to uh, a little-known channel, which I'll, I'll include the link in the description. Regis Tremblay. Uh, I think he also lives in Russia, and a lot of people he's interviewed I've met personally, and I've also interviewed some of them. Uh, so. Uh, again, uh, I'll recommend to listeners Robert Bridges' writings. I'll include the links. Uh, so find him on the Censored Strategic Culture, RT, and Twitter. And uh, thanks again for being on Geopolitics and Empire. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. I hope you enjoyed this Geopolitics and Empire podcast and interview. I would like to remind you that our website is geopoliticsandempire.com, and you can sign up for our mailing list that goes out each weekend with the latest podcast and a long collection of important news headlines. It's good to sign up for the newsletter in case we experience censorship and deplatforming. You can help the Geopolitics and Empire podcast by subscribing to and interacting with all of our channels such as YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Gab, Minds, and Steemit. You can also help us by leaving a rating and review on your favorite podcast platforms such as iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, Spreaker, and so on. Finally, if you value our work and our mission and would like to see us continue interviewing experts from across the political spectrum, please consider leaving a one-time donation via PayPal or Bitcoin or becoming a regular monthly supporter on our Patreon. All the links can be found on geopoliticsandempire.com. Thanks for listening.